Um, this morning, um, I am going to do the very best I can to communicate with you. Um, you know, the rain came, and um, my, my body is, is just feeling a little bit tired this morning. Maybe, perhaps, you're in a, a same mood. I don't know. Um, but I also believe that, that what we have this morning is what we need to hear. And I, I thought about it yesterday as I was kind of preparing and, and thinking. And I thought, Lord, this is a message that it's, it's a message from 3,000 years ago. And yet we so desperately need this message today. So I invite you to pray with me. And, and then we're going to take a look at this message this morning. Lord God, I come to you and I first off, I recognize how inadequate I am. How inadequate I am to communicate this message that I believe you have for us. But God, by the empowerment of your spirit, I cry out to you. And I ask that you will meet me in my weakness. And that your words would be my words. Lord, I pray that, that what I communicate will be delivered in a way that is consistent with what you have revealed from the whole of Scripture. And I ask that it might be given by your Spirit's power. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Have you ever believed that someone had it in for you? Someone just did not like you and they just had it in for you? Like they really didn't care about your well-being, they just didn't care. Now, maybe it was, uh, as a student, maybe it was, oh, that teacher just hates my guts. You know, I just, I just know that they don't like me. And whenever I get a grade back, I just know it has nothing to do with how I answered. It's just that they really don't like me. Maybe it was that. Or maybe um, we could think back to, like, when we were kids, did we ever feel like, oh, my parents are just so unfair. They just don't like me. They just don't get it. I remember for me, growing up as, as a kid, there were times where I felt, and there was a few years there in particular, where I felt like my parents don't get it. They don't understand me. They, they are so out of touch. Um, and I remember even thinking, one day when I'm a parent, I'm going to parent differently, and I'll do it better. <laughs> and here I am, and I'm basically doing what they did to me. You know, I'm just like, well, actually, dad and mom knew what they were doing, and I think I'm going to raise my kids the same way, you know, really similar at least to how, how I was raised. I want you to take this idea that I've been presenting here so far, and I want you to take this a step further. I want you to think about God. I want you to think about your relationship with God. Do you ever feel as though God doesn't like you? Have you ever felt like, God, you just don't like me? I don't know what's going on, but I just feel like you don't really care about my well-being. And maybe if we ever felt like when our parents would punish us and we thought, I think that they get some secret joy out of this. Have we ever thought that of God? God, I feel like when I get punished, 
I feel like you are up there getting some satisfaction in this. That seems to be the God that you are. This morning, I want to communicate an overarching message here. Don't miss it. Don't miss this overarching message. Message is this. God is for you. God is for you. I want you to hear that this morning. Because if we're going to hear the rest of this message, I think that we have to hear this loud and clear. God is for you. This morning, I want us to look at a passage of Scripture. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 7. We are working our way through this book. The, the theme that I have given this, uh, this series here is called Transitions. We're looking at lessons from the book of 1 Samuel. By the way, have you sensed transitions in your life? Are you sensing transitions in your life? Life is about transition. We are all in transition whether we recognize it or not. Sometimes we are more aware of it than others, than other times. Well, 1 Samuel is about transition. We've already seen a couple of transitions. And this morning we're going to see some more transition. So 1 Samuel 7, but really to get there, I need to give you the backstory. Um, the, the passage of Scripture I really want to communicate this morning is really chapters 4, 5, 6, and 7. That's four chapters. I'm not going to read four chapters to you this morning. So I want to give you the backstory. And so to give you the backstory this morning, I brought along a little bag. Um, I had to get actually a bigger bag this morning. Um, my Winco bag was too small. I tried a Walgreens bag that was too small. Um, I was looking for my Trader Joe bag. I couldn't find it. That would have been too small though too. So I have this this bag here, and I've got just a few things, just three things in here, but there are things that might help me as I recount kind of what happened in um, chapters 4, 5, and 6, and then we'll actually read 7 here. Um, I, I brought this first off. This is just a little box, right? This is it's just a little box. Um, Inside this box are actually dominoes. I left them in. You can hear them, right? There's dominoes in here. The dominoes has nothing to do with, with 1 Samuel chapter 4. The box kind of does. Kind of, okay? <laughs> this is just really very symbolic here. This represents something. Do you know what it represents? In 1 Samuel chapter 4, I think I may have heard it. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, um, the, the writer, we don't fully know again who this writer is, perhaps Samuel, writes about um, a box. But he doesn't call it a box. He calls it the Ark of the Covenant. It was significantly bigger than this, but it wasn't huge. It was um, also wood. This is not acacia wood, but it was made of acacia wood. Um, our floor in our house is made of acacia wood. 
I chose not to rip that up this morning to bring that down here. <laughs> You're welcome, wife. Um, she was like, well, the flooring is acacia wood. True. We'll just let that sit. <laughs> I've got this, this box here, which reminds me of the Ark of the Covenant. Um, let's throw a picture up on the screen right now, which gives you an idea, actually, of what the Ark would have been like. And maybe the, it might give you a bit of an idea of the dimensions here of... Because you've got, you know, four guys that would be carrying it on these, these poles here. Kind of gives you an idea of how big it was. It was actually overlaid in gold. Um, didn't have any gold laying around the house this morning, so didn't bring any of that along. But it was overlaid in, in gold. And this on the inside I mentioned has dominoes, little, little domino pieces. Can I even get them out? Ugh. Yeah, there we, there we go. Little domino pieces. This is a blank one. Oh, let me get a better one. That is a, that's a better one. <laughs> okay, little domino pieces. But what was actually in the Ark of the Covenant? Yeah, the Ten Commandments. It was, it was the Ten Commandments. The stones that had the inscription of the Ten Commandments, those were actually put in the Ark of the Covenant. So um, this Ark of the Covenant served, I think, as a couple reminders for the people, for God's people. Um, it, it served as a reminder of the covenant. Ah, that's why it's called the Ark of the Covenant. A reminder of the covenant that God made with them. And the covenant was really quite simple, but hard. You know, simple and hard. Simple to understand. God said... Honor me, follow me, and I promise that I will take care of you. I promise you that good will accompany you because the God of the universe will be fighting for you. The God of the universe will be taking care of you. Honor me, follow me. But the covenant also had, had a, a second part to it. If you don't follow me, disaster is awaiting you. If you don't follow me, disaster will come. So please follow me. That's what the Ark of the Covenant was symbolic of. God gave instructions, create an ark, create a box, make it look like this. This is what you're to do to the box. This is going to remind the people of this covenant. This will remind you of the covenant that we have made that God made through Moses to his people. It was to remind them of this. Um, it also was to remind them of the presence of God. This Ark of the Covenant that you see here, it was to be placed in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. And once a year, the high priest was able to go in to the Holy of Holies and to make a sacrifice for his sin and for the sins of his people. Um, I remember that they would tie a rope around the priest's ankle <laughs> in case he was sent, like in case he had not actually confessed his sins and was struck dead. Well, let's keep it. <laughs> You know, in case he dies, we'll have a rope so we can, you know, not wheel him, but pull him back out here. 
This, this is the Ark of the Covenant. Now, before I lose you too much in this, I'm not trying to give too much, putting, I'm not trying to put too much emphasis on this Ark. But here's where I'm going. The children of Israel began to look at the Ark of the Covenant like a good luck charm. Like, you got the ark, right? So here's what happened. Chapter 4 tells us that the Philistines and the Israelites were at war with each other. And then one day, the Philistines took out 4,000 men, killed them, killed 4,000 men. And how did the God's people respond? They responded like you could imagine they would respond, Oh, come on, God, what's going on here? Why have you forgotten us? You took out 4,000 of our people. But, but this is what they said. Ah, I bet you it's because we don't have the ark. I bet you it's because we didn't bring the ark with us into battle. Let's go back into battle and make sure we got the ark. You see, it's a, it's a good luck charm. Let's make sure that we've got the Ark of the Covenant with us, because if we've got the Ark of the Covenant with us, surely we're going to have victory, right? So they go back into battle. And what happened? You can just about guess with an attitude like that. You can almost guess what's going to happen. They lost 30,000 foot soldiers in one day. 30,000 foot soldiers taken out. Not only did they lose 30,000 foot soldiers, Hophni and Phinehas, remember those two guys? Remember those guys that we looked at last week who were corrupt? They died. Not only did they die, the Ark of the Covenant was captured, taken, taken away. The Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant. And when Eli, the priest, heard that the Ark of the Covenant had been captured, he fell over dead. He died. So you've got God's people kind of in complete confusion. God, what is going on here? How is it? That you, did, did you just leave us? Did you just let us go? Did you stop caring about us? We've lost 34,000 foot soldiers. Our priests are dead. The Ark of the Covenant is taken. God, where are you? Now the story continues on. And so I'm just going to put this down here. The story continues on. So the Philistines... They took the Ark of the Covenant and we're told that they took it to Ashdod and they put it in the temple of Dagon. Dagon, here's a picture of Dagon. Dagon was a half, they believe, they believe that he was a half man, half fish, which is why I brought this along I'm not going to model this for you this morning. <laughs> this is a mermaid or a merman 
outfit. If you ever need, you need to go swimming, you can put your feet in here and swim along. This is what they believed about Dagon. He's, he's half marine, he's half fish, and he's half man. He was the, the great god of the Philistines that they worshipped. And he had his own temple. And they took, they captured the Ark of the Covenant. And they took it and they put the Ark of the Covenant in the temple of Dagon. They went home. They went night-night. And they came back the next morning. I imagine it would have been their priests and their diviners came back. And what happened? The, te- or the, the, the God, small letter G, the God Dagon fell over, did a face plant in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Did a face plant in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Just like I did a face plant the very first time I tried to go snowboarding. This God did a face plant in front of Dagon. And the people's response was, Oh, it's probably just coincidence. Let's pick him back up. And so they pick up their shrine. They go back and go back to sleep. And they come back again. And what has happened to Dagon? Bam! Face plant. This time, his head and his hands rip off the body. It's just a shrine, okay? Head and hands are broken off. All that's left is the trunk of his body. Prostrate in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, Besides just these things happening, something else happens. The people in Ashdod recognize that they're getting sick. They're getting afflicted with tumors. Not just a couple people, many people. Many people are being afflicted with tumors. And so they say, it's the ark. It's that box. It's that, as they thought it, it's that God of the Israelites. He's messing with us. Now remember, they they believed in many gods. So this is just one of the gods, but the God of the Israelites is messing with us. We, We see evidence of this because Dagon keeps on falling over, and now we are being afflicted with tumors So what are we going to do? They take the Ark of the Covenant and they deliver it to Gath. Let's put it in someone else's territory. It's still our territory. Interestingly enough, this is Israelite territory that had been taken over by the Philistines. Let's put the Ark of the Covenant in Gath and let them... Take care of this problem. What happens to them? They all get tumors as well. Well, what are we going to do? Let's move it again to Ekron. And so they move the Ark of the Covenant to Ekron. And what happens? 
those people get tumors as well. So the Philistines consult their priests and their diviners and say, what are we supposed to do with this? This this unique box here is really messing with us. What are we supposed to do? And the diviners and the priests, their priests, remember the ones who served Dagon, they said, okay, here's the plan. We're going to put the box that... Ark of the Covenant, they didn't know it was called the Ark of the Covenant. We're going to put that box on a cart. And we're going to send with it some gold tumors. Don't you just love how they think? And some gold rats. I couldn't find any gold rats this morning or any gold tumors. And we're going to tie one more thing in this here. We're going <laughs> to, do you know what this is? We're going to tie some, some cows. We're going to tie two mama cows who have just given birth to little baby calves. And we're going to tie them to the cart Carrying the Ark of the Covenant, you know, that box. And if this is truly supernatural, though these mamas have young, who they are still nursing, if this is truly supernatural, then, then these cows will take this cart back to Israel, to the Israelites. <laughs> Now, humanly speaking, they have made it impossible. They have made it completely impossible. Like that is just not going to happen. But when they do this, what happened? The two cows who had been nursing their young take off and haul the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel. Now, that's the backstory. Um, I don't even know what to do with this stuff. I'll put this over here. <laughs> because we're going to sing one more song, and uh, I don't want it to get in the way. <laughs> with that backstory, I want you to look at First Samuel 7, and I hope that you're already there. 1 Samuel chapter 7. I want you to see the response of the people. So the Ark of the Covenant has been brought back to them. But look at their response. Verse 2 of chapter 7. It was a long time, 20 years in all, that the Ark remained at kiriath Jerim, and all the people of Israel mourned and sought after the Lord. So stop there. If we think that this took place all over like just a couple weeks, a couple months maybe, we're wrong. This is 20 years later. 20 years later, 
Children of God, God's people, are mourning. Why are they mourning? Because they've had 34,000 foot soldiers die. Because their priests are gone. Because the Ark of the Covenant was taken. It's back. And I kind of think that perhaps some of them were thinking, I don't even know if I want it back. I don't know if I even like this. We've had it. We've tried to use this Ark of the Covenant. And I don't like it. It's not working for me. They're they're mourning. For 20 years, they're just mourning. But I also note that it says that they're seeking after the Lord. Perhaps, is it some of them? Is it all of them? Was it divided? I I don't know. Well, yes, I do know. It, it was divided. We're going to find out why here in a bit. I, I think there was part of them. I, I seek after the Lord. I'm seeking after the Lord. Yes. But, but I think there's so much more going on here. Look at verse 3. Samuel said to the whole house of Israel. Okay, guys, if you are returning to the Lord with all of your heart, Then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the asterisks and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Do you catch what Samuel is saying? If you are really serious, if you really intend to return to the Lord, then You've got to stop worshiping the asterisk poles. And, and we read later on, and the bales. You see, you, you have, you are so divided. You have one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot placed in the enemy's territory. You have one foot trying to serve God and one foot trying to serve the, the idols. You are trying to hang on to Yahweh. And you are trying to hang on to the idols. You are trying to serve both. Okay, Samuel is saying, after 20 years of this morning, if you are really serious about this, if you really want to return to the Lord your God, then it's got to be more than lip service. You've got to get rid of the idols. Until you get rid of your idols. God's favor is not going to rest on you. Remember again what I said at the start of this? God is for you. I believe it is so true. God was for Israel. Which is why... His power had never, it wasn't gone. His power was still available, fully available, which is why when the Ark of the Covenant was placed in the temple of Dagon, Dagon fell over face first. God's power was not gone. God was still there. God had not abandoned Israel. But Israel had compromised, and I think by compromising, they had abandoned God. Look at verse 4. So the Israelites put away their bales and the asherahs and served the Lord only. 
I love those words. So the Israelites chose to listen. The Israelites chose to listen to Samuel. Okay, we're going to get rid of our idols then. Yes, we are serious about this. Yes, we really want to serve God alone. So we're going to get rid of the idols. We're going to get rid of them. I think about um, my years in ministry so far, and most, majority of them were in youth ministry, and I think about younger people who would come to me periodically and just say, Pastor Nita, I'm really struggling with X, Y, and Z. And this, this is just something that I know I'm struggling with, and I, it's holding me back, and I need help. And in talking with them, I would ask various questions, and I recognized that there were certain things in their life that were a stronghold, that the enemy had grabbed hold of them. And I, I told them, until you kill this, you're not going to have victory. And I, I know that's gruesome. And I, I said, yes, this is gruesome. Until you take an axe to this, until you seriously smash this, until you destroy this, until you get rid of this. Like, you know what's in your life that is causing you distance and separation and, and a feeling of despair. You know what it is. The Spirit of God has spoken it to you, and I'm here to affirm that. So until you actually get rid of this and kill it, you will have no victory. And I could really sense when someone was truly wanting the victory or when someone was saying, that's too much. You can't do that. Because oftentimes what I was calling them to was radical. You know, I think of a number, and it wasn't just this, but I think of a, a number of people that it was, I'm struggling with pornography. I said, okay, until you actually recognize that maybe you need to put some restrictions on your phone, or maybe you need to place your laptop in a place that's public, or until you find some accountability here, this addiction is not going to go away. You see, you're going to have to do something radical here. You want victory, yes. How badly do you want victory? Because apparently it seems like you don't want victory that bad. Because you keep flirting. You keep flirting with the enemy. And yet you're saying, God, how come you're not with me? How come you don't care about me? I think God is saying, I'll tell you why. It's because you compromise. It's because you are not honest about your idols. You are not honest about that which you are actually serving. Remember, God is for you. God is for you. He cares for you. But that doesn't mean that God is saying, hey, now live however you want. God is saying, no, I have actually told you how you need to live. I have communicated with you. Are you willing to follow me? It's not going to be easy. It takes discipline. 
Are you willing to, to discipline yourself because to find the victory, you need to be honest with your heart. Am I hanging on to God while I'm also grabbing hold of an idol? Whatever that idol might be. I know that we want victory. We want spiritual victory. The children of Israel wanted spiritual victory. I think for the children of Israel, God is saying through Samuel, if you want spiritual victory, you take those Ashtoreth poles out. Smash them. Get rid of them now. Take the bale. Get rid of them. Your heart is divided. We sang this morning, give us clean hands. Your hands will not be made clean until you get rid of your idol. What's your idol? What is the idol that pulls you? Read on, verse 5. Look at this incredible response of the people. Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel and Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. Now, I want to just note really quick that Samuel is the prophet and he is the priest here. And this is before Christ. So, so this, is going to be, this is going to be different here. I understand that, that Samuel is interceding on behalf of the people in a way that I don't have to intercede on behalf of you. Why do I say that? Because Hebrews says that Jesus is our great high priest. You see, we have a great high priest. Guess what? You have the same access to God that I do. I, I don't have like a little bit greater access to God because of my position as a pastor. No. I have the same high priest as you. It's Jesus. You have the same access to God as I do. It's Jesus. But here in this case, Samuel was saying, gather and I'm going to intercede. Here's a note I want to make from this. I think there are times in our life, though Jesus is our great high priest, I think that there are times in our life where we need to go to someone else. I think there's times where we need to go to our pastor, go to an elder, go to an elder's wife, go to a respected Christian leader and confess and say, hey, I got to be honest with you. I'm really struggling here. I really feel like, like I'm losing in the battle. And I'm asking that you would pray for me, not because your prayers are greater than mine, but because I need you to partner with me in this. Please, would you pray for me? Would you pray for my redemption? Pray for my healing, my spiritual healing. I need that. I think there's times where we need to do that. Read on, verse 6. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day, they fasted and they confessed we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel was leader of Israel at Mizpah. I, I love 
the seriousness of these people. These people heard from Samuel this call to repent. And what did they do? For one whole day, they fasted and they called out to the Lord. God, we have sinned. Forgive us. They called out to the Lord. We have sinned. God, we need your forgiveness. We need it. Verse 7, when the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. They thought, (laughs) we're going to get them again. And when the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid. So, you know, sometimes fear is good. Because in this case, this was a healthy fear. I think about the arrogance that they had when they brought the Ark of the Covenant and thought, well, we're just going to bring the Ark out and we'll just go attack them and we'll be okay. This time they were afraid. They were afraid of the Philistines. Verse 8, they said to Samuel, Do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it up as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. I cannot help but notice the word whole burnt offering. Thinking about Hophni and Phinehas who would make sacrifices and yet take the choice part of the sacrifice. Samuel offers it up as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Samuel cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf and the Lord answered him. When Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day, the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines slaughtering, I know that's hard for us to hear, but slaughtering them along the way to a point below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far has the Lord helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not invade Israelite territory again. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. The towns of Ekron to Gath that the Philistines had captured from Israel were restored to her, to Israel. And Israel delivered the neighboring territory from the power of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and And the Amorites. God was for them. God had always been for them. God had never abandoned them. Israel had abandoned God. It wasn't like they didn't know about God. You know, they knew enough to call out to him. God, how come you're not helping me? Hey, God, where are you at? Why? What's what's going on here? 
It took Samuel, a godly man, God's prophet, to speak to them and say, if you're really serious about this, you need to get rid of your idols. I mean, if you're really serious about this, if you're really serious about following the Lord, you've got to get rid of your idols. And they responded and said, okay, I'll get rid of my idols. I want them gone. I don't want this in my life anymore. I don't want the bales. What, what about us? I know this passage is 3,000 years old, over 3,000 years old. But what about us today? Um, I am pretty confident in saying that you probably don't have any kind of shrines in your house that you are wanting to worship. But I wonder what you are tempted to follow after. You know, again, one hand on the Lord God and then one hand on something else. This morning, I am I'm going to give you an opportunity. Sorry. I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. Not to me. Because it's not me that we need to respond to. It's to the Lord God. We are a people who know. But let's not let our knowledge interfere with our heart. Where our heart really is at. I've been walking with the Lord for, well, for me a long time. You know, about 38 years. And um, I placed my faith in Christ when I was four years old. So for that, I've been walking with the Lord for about 38 years old, or 38 years. And yet I know how easy it is for me my walk with the Lord to want to grab onto the Lord and also grab onto something else. And so this morning, I just ask you, is the Spirit of God speaking to you? As he spoke to the children of God 3,000 years ago, yes, you want victory. But you need to get rid of your idols. So is there something that you need to get rid of in your life? That you would say, yeah, I, I, will, I will get rid of this. God, by your help, I put this aside. And you know what? It can be really frustrating for us, and I know this personally, where we put something aside and then we start to fill our, the drawback, and we start to pick it up again. And if that's the case, release it again. Confess it again. God is for you. I don't care who you are. I don't, I don't care 
Well, who, who you are, who's listening online right now, I don't care what your story is. I don't care where you've been. I don't care if you are listening to my words this morning and say, Nathan, quite frankly, I'm an atheist. I'm telling you, God is for you. God is for you. He is not here to excuse our behavior, but he is for you. God longs for you. God longs to be in a relationship with you. If you are a believer, God is for you. If, if you would say, there are areas of my life that I have been neglecting or I've kind of brought matters into my own hands, God is for you. He is not here to excuse your behavior, but he is here to remind you, I'm for you. So may our response be identical to that of the Israelites 3,000 years ago. I return. God, I return. Because God wants to do something through each of you. He does. And God wants to do something collectively through this body right here. Just as God wanted to do with Israel 3,000 years ago, God wants to do something through Kingwood Bible Church. What could stand in the way of God moving and accomplishing what he wants? It is our stubbornness and it is our refusal to identify the idol. May that not be us. I invite us to return. I'm going to close in prayer. I'm going to just invite Pam up here as well. And this morning, I just invite you to speak to the Lord personally. Is there an idol in your life? Is there something that you have been hanging on to? So, Lord God, right now we come to you. We come to you acknowledging who you are. But also, God, I just pray that we would allow your spirit to speak to us in these moments. So right now in this moment, I invite you to speak to the Lord. And if you need to return, would you do so right now?
Lord God, you hear our prayer. You have heard the prayers of each person here in this room. You have heard the prayers of those who are joining us online. And Lord, I am grateful that you are a gracious God. You are compassionate. You are slow to anger. You are abounding in love. God, when we come to you, when we repent, when we turn back to you, you forgive. God, I thank you for that and I praise you. God, remind us this morning that you are for us. You have never abandoned us. You never will. Though there are times that we walk away, you never walk away. Father, I thank you that your grace covers us. We look to you this morning and we just confess. We confess individually, but we also confess collectively. God, we need you. God, I thank you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.